Hello everyone, welcome to the new episode of Polynet Podcast. I'm Sergei Nelisic and I'll be your host today. My guest today is uh, Klaus Goetz, a German professor and political scientist, and we're going to talk about Germany and their political system. So first of all, uh, Professor, thank you so much for your time and thank you for being our guest. Well, can you tell us more about uh, German upcoming parliamentary elections and uh, can you explain uh, uh, specifics of uh, German uh, of German parliamentary process and uh, how uh, German people elect their representatives in uh, Bundestag? I can tell you a, a little bit. Uh, we will have uh, the next uh, scheduled elections uh, in the autumn of this year, in September. Uh, as you may know, Germany elects its parliament uh, every four years. And usually, uh, parliament serves out the entire four years. In the German system, it is not possible for parliament uh, simply to dissolve itself. We can only have early elections under very specific Uh, conditions uh, so far in the history of the Federal Republic that has happened uh, very rarely. So our elections take place uh, every uh, four years. Uh, Germany is, as you know, a, a federal country uh, with 16 uh, states. And although there is a national uh, election law, unlike in the United States for the president, uh, the uh, elections are run on a state by state uh, basis. So the political parties nominate their candidates in the states. Uh, one of the perhaps uh, chief characteristics uh, of the German system is that uh, half of the members of parliament are supposed to be elected in constituencies. Uh, and another half is elected from lists. So it's a proportional system with majoritarian elements in each of the constituency whoever wins the plurality of vote, not necessarily the majority, but the plurality of votes becomes a member of parliament. And in order to make the system proportional, um, you then have a list system, which wants to make sure that the overall composition of the parliament uh, in the end is proportional to the overall number of uh, votes. So everybody has two votes in a federal election one for the candidate in the constituency and one for the party list. And the electoral system then makes sure that uh, every party that manages to gain more than 5% of the votes on the lists will also have representation in the federal parliament. And of course, every candidate that is directly elected. Before a parliamentary election in September, there is also one very important election, I would say that's for the leader of CDU or Christian Democratic Union, one of the greatest uh, party in Germany. Well, uh, current Councillor Angela Merkel uh, was a leader for 18 years and since 2018 leader is Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer. She announced that she will not seek a re-election. 
So uh, who are the other candidates for leader of the party and what's their plan for the future of that party? So, so as you rightly say, um, the CDU, together with the Bavarian sister party, uh, the CSU, um, is, if you want, the natural party of government in Germany. Uh, for most of the post-war period, uh, the government has been led by leaders of the CDU. Uh, we had the first chancellor, Konrad uh, Adenauer, who, of course, was a historical figure in German history, chancellor from the foundation of the Federal Republic in 1949 uh, until uh, he had to resign in 1963 when he was 87 years old. Uh, then everybody remembers the historical figure of uh, Helmut Kohl, who was also chancellor for 16 years, which in a parliamentary system with regular four-year elections is an extraordinarily long period to serve. And of course, Angela Merkel, who again, uh, by September of this year, will have served four full terms and 16 years. So whatever matters in the, so whatever happens in the, C, in the uh, CDU uh, matters hugely for the German political system overall, because it is, the, if you want, the natural, the dominant party uh, of government. After the last uh, elections in 2017, um, we had an attempt to put together a new type of coalition from the CDU, the Greens and the Liberals, uh, because the SPD did no longer want to govern with the CDU in a so-called grand coalition of the two major parties. Uh, but in the end, after months of uh, discussions and debates, uh, the Liberals pulled out and they said, we will not enter such a coalition. And the German system really requires what we call the chancellor majority. That is a chancellor has to be voted into office with an absolute majority of the number of MPs. So at the federal level, a minority government can't really work. And then another few months passed and it was finally possible to put together the current, the so-called grand coalition. Uh, imme immediately problems started within the grand coalition. Large parts of the social Democrats were unhappy with having to re-enter a grand coalition. There was also a great deal of disquiet in the CDU. In the end, Angela Merkel resigned as leader of the party, but she decided to carry on as chancellor. Now she had always said, the two offices should not be separated. The chancellor should also be head of the CDU. But in a sense, she went against her own advice. She was under pressure to resign. Graham Karrenbauer, who was her favorite uh, candidate, became a leader of the party. But from the beginning, uh, there, were, there was a lot of pressure in the CDU on her. Eventually, there were problems uh, at the land level. She announced that she would not seek re-election, that she would not seek uh, re-election. Um, but then Corona came along and the CDU had to postpone its uh, party meeting uh, several times. And finally, uh, they decided to have it uh, in January, so this month. Um, and they have an indicative vote 
but according uh, to a strict interpretation of our laws governing political parties, they will also have to have a postal vote for the party leader. So what is decided at the party congress will be indicative. And then the hope is that members, when they vote in writing, will follow uh, that decision. And we have three candidates who are challenging uh, to become the next leaders of the party. Let's go back to the uh, parliamentary election in September. Well, besides CDU, what other parties will participate on that election? Uh, maybe some expectations of results or coalitions that will be created and uh, does it necessarily mean that leader of winning party will become an ex-cancellor of Germany or maybe not? Well, this time around it's going to be even more complicated uh, than usual. We just talked about uh, the CDU. Um, in normal times one would expect that the leader of the CDU also becomes the candidate for the chancellorship of the CDU and the Bavarian sister party, the CSU. Uh, this year that is by no means certain. Uh, so it may well be that out of the three candidates challenging to be leaders uh, for the CDU, none of them will then become also chancellor candidate, but that somebody else will be nominated. Uh, and at the moment, those two alternative candidates could be either the Bavarian Minister President Söder, who is uh, the leader of the CSU, the Bavarian sister party, and the two parties would campaign together under his leadership as a leader, the potential chancellor, or possibly our current uh, health minister, Jens Spahn, from the CDU, uh, who stood in the last elections against uh, Graham Karrenbauer, but lost. So at the moment, we do not know who will be the leader of the major party, the biggest party. And we do not know who, in, even if we know that by the end of this month, we do not know who will lead the major party into the federal elections as a chancellor candidate. So anything I will say that has to be taken with some caution because we simply don't know who the leader people will be. It will be easier for the uh, SPD. The SPD has already announced who will be their chancellor candidate. That's our current uh, minister for federal minister uh, for uh, finance, Scholz. Uh, the Greens have yet to decide uh, who will lead them. Uh, the Greens have a party leadership consisting of a man and a woman, but they have decided that they will nominate somebody as a chancellor candidate because they think that it's important for them to show that in principle, they are ready to assume that office, but that will require them to make a decision who do we actually tell the electorate the chancellor will be that is important. So uh, what will happen in the autumn is relatively wide open. I think most people would be very surprised if the CDU-CSU 
were not to lead the government again, but whether they will form, be able to form a government with the Greens, or perhaps with the Greens and the Liberals, or whether ultimately there may be the need to form a grand coalition again, will of course depend on what percentage of the votes they get. And that's quite uncertain to our student of uh, political science. You know that there is a lot of writing in political science and electoral studies on the so-called recency bias, that increasingly voting is influenced by short-term factors and short-term perceptions. We've all seen it throughout European elections. It's no longer just the last six months that matter. Often it's the last six weeks, or sometimes in extreme cases, even the last six days, if something happens, that may make the difference. So any predictions now as to percentages and whether the Greens will do better than the Social Democrats or whether the uh, extreme right wing will do better than the Social Democrats and the Greens as they did last time, I think that's very difficult to say. What we can expect, I think, is a government in which the CDU-CSU will be present, will be the largest party, will lead the government. And that's why it's so important what's currently happening in the Christian Democratic Party. But what the coalition formula will be, I think that is wide open. The SPD needs to keep the option open of the SPD leading a government. Although that doesn't look very likely because current indications are that the Greens would get more votes than the SPD. So if the SPD were to enter into a government, say Social Democrats and Greens and the Linke, the party of the left, um, if the Greens are the largest party, they would also want to provide the chancellorship. But I think that is relatively unlikely because for the Greens to enter into a government uh, with De Linke, but also for the SPD to enter into a government with De Linke at the federal level would create enormous tensions uh, in, both, in both parties. As we earlier said that Councillor Merkel announced that she will not be a candidate for next term. So we can say that uh, post-Merkel era is coming for Germany and also for European Union because uh, Germany is a leader of uh, EU and uh, maybe some expectations and consequences, both positive and negative for Germany and for EU. Let me start maybe in the following way. You know, I, as you know, I teach political science at the University of, of, of Munich. And every year I also teach one undergraduate course on, on, on German politics, which is what I've been doing. For 30, for 30 years at different, at different universities. Now, practically all of my students don't have any first-hand experience of another chancellor named Chancellor Merkel. Um, and 
pretty much anybody in Germany under 30, even if they follow politics, really only remember her. Now, older people like me, they remember other chancellors, Chancellor Schroeder, who preceded her, and of course, uh, Chancellor Kohl, who governed uh, in Germany from the early 1980s up to 1998. Uh, but I think it is important to realize that for many uh, Germans, the office of the chancellor has become very closely associated with her, in particular for younger people. Uh, so the first thing will, of course, be just like when Helmut Kohl was voted out of office uh, after uh, 16 years, that we have to, to some extent, readjust to a different person in that post uh, who will run that office differently. But of course, also, whether you're a supporter of Angela Merkel or a distractor, uh, most people or the majority of Germans, I would say, um, trust in her judgment. They got used to her. Um, and uh, of course, she's accumulated huge experience. And that also matters for the European Union. She is, of course, uh, now the head of government with by far the largest uh, government experience of any uh, of the major countries. Remember, you know, if you just look at France, and France has a presidential system with presidents who used to serve for seven years, now they serve for five years. But, you know, she was already there when uh, Chirac was president, and then Sarkozy, and Hollande, and Macron, and that's a presidential system with an inbuilt stability, and there she is in a parliamentary system. Uh, Germany, of course, is the biggest country of the European uh, Union, economically the strongest uh, country. Um, and if you combine that uh, with the longevity uh, of German chances in office and the political capital they are able to accumulate, uh, you can begin to understand why Germany plays such an important role. It's not just because it's the largest country but also because in the decisive leadership positions, we have had for many years exceptional stability, even if you compare it to a presidential system such as France, let alone compare it to parliamentary systems, say Belgium or Italy or Spain. There's nobody around who has anywhere near their hair record. But that also means that when a new chancellor comes in, he won't in the beginning be able to play a similarly dominant role. He will be, the others will see uh, what he's like. They will want to see how stable is he really in his position? Will we really be around for four years or for eight years or for 12 years? Or is he more likely to be a transitional figure? And at the same time, we have to realize that um, with the UK leaving the uh, European Union, on the one hand, of course, Germany has become even more important, but on the other hand, also France has become more important because what used to be a triangle really of the UK, Germany, 
and France, the three dominant uh, economies, two of these countries, permanent members of the UN Security Council, namely France uh, and the UK, that's no longer there. The only country that is now represented European country in this world political forum, the permanent uh, member of the UN Security Council is France. That increases France's uh, position. And so Germany will be able to, on the one hand, play a strong role, uh, but France will challenge even more in order to be able to make sure that they are treated equally. And I think we saw it in the so-called rescue package, which was agreed a few weeks ago, you know, this enormous financial package in order to uh, try to get the European economies going again after COVID. It is perfectly clear that if the UK had still been a member of the European Union, such a package could not have been agreed. Uh, France pushed very hard for it. Germany realized they couldn't resist it, so they went along. Uh, if the UK had still been there, the outcome would have been quite different. So we see a shift in power and uh, Merkel's leadership will not simply be taken over by another German chancellor. The German chancellor will have to show that he is able to play a similar role. And of course, in the beginning, uh, the German chancellor, whoever he will be, uh, will also be busy trying to consolidate their power within the German political system. And maybe some expectations for countries that non-European Union countries, especially for those who want to become one. Uh, for example, countries from Western Balkans, they are seeking uh, EU membership for a years. And what their future will look like in that upcoming post-Merkel era? Well, it's the beginning of the year, so we, will, uh, so we want to be uh, optimistic, but it's not all that easy to uh, become or to stay optimistic as far as future enlargements are concerned. Um, the UK, of course, was one of the countries that tended to be in favor of enlargement because they had a different vision of the European, of the European Union. Um, uh, if we look at current member states and in particular uh, also France, I think the balance is different. Uh, I think the emphasis on the moment uh, is not so much on enlargement, but on deepening and the rescue package, which for the first time really allowed the European Union itself um, to finance itself uh, to in, in through, you know, issuing bonds as it were to um, shift some of the financial burdens from the member states directly to the European Union. Uh, many see that uh, as a win for those who want to deepen the European Union, the creation of a financial union, of a European finance minister, and so on and so forth. Now, deepening uh, 
and enlargement don't really go together. We all know that um, because then you can only enlarge to countries uh, that are very similar, in particular in economic terms, uh, to the dominant uh, economies and the countries of the Balkans don't fall under that rubric. What I think we can hope for is that the European Union uh, will push further what they call the neighborhood policy, that is develop intensive links with non-member states that do not have a membership option in the, in the immediate future or in the intermediate future, but where both sides see strong advantages to intensive collaboration. But frankly, I think the emphasis in the European countries at the moment is on trying to strengthen the existing union. Uh, the European Union will have continued to have uh, major challenges dealing with the consequences of the UK leaving the union. We don't hear so much about that at the moment because COVID or Corona has taken over all other questions. But a very important country has left uh, the European Union uh, that has financial implications, economic implications, diplomatic implications. So my realistic assessment is that at the moment, attention is on other, on other things. Um, and of course, you know that any enlargement uh, requires the agreement of all existing uh, member states. Uh, so there are also hurdles on that path uh, towards uh, enlargement. That was all for today. Professor, thank you so much for being our guest. It was really a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, and thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Uh, see you next Thursday when we will talk about uh, the US foreign policy with Sarah and her guest. Stay tuned. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Polynet. <laughs>